welcome to Zombie Fishbowl, a podcast about random shit. I am one half of all the hosts on offer today, Danielle, and the other half is... Melanie over here in the USA. You can have both. You don't have to choose. Welcome back to all our loyal little fishes and bienvenue to the new. How are you today, Melanie? I'm all right. I got to play like two hours of God of War by myself, you know, un uninterrupted uh, it was quite beautiful i saved a oh, dragon fantastic oh yeah i always forget you've always got little munchkins who probably want to sit all over you and take over the game yeah or they're like mom do you really have to play god of war yes yes i do <laughs> i've um i've literally just walked in the door from uni and i uh, microwaved myself a plate of pizza and melanie goes normal pizza this time right like yeah. I wear, like I consistently eat weird pizza. I don't trust you in pizza. That's <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> well, I can assure all of our listeners that it is normal pizza. It's mushroom and olive. This is acceptable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we have no updates this week. So we'll just go straight to purges, shall we? Mm-hmm. What are you purging this week? Today uh, was actually yesterday. It hit me that um, Christmas time is coming, and I know, I know, it's not even Halloween yet. But I work in a mall, okay? So pretty much every single day of the year is us just getting ready for the Christmas season. Yeah. And I know that in about a week, I'll be getting the holiday schedule for the mall. And I'll probably just start crying because <laughs> I work most of those shifts. I work once like November hits, I'm working six, seven days a week. Uh, and it's pretty brutal. So yesterday it just sort of like I had a moment of panic. I'm all, oh, God, it's coming. It's coming. So, yeah, that's that's my purge. I'm scared. I'm scared. Oh, I I completely understand that. that Yeah. And I wouldn't want to put myself in your headspace. I very, very recently allowed myself to let go of the frustration of the length of the Christmas season. Mm. Like I very recently told myself, let people enjoy Christmas for as long as they want to enjoy Christmas. It yeah. really doesn't affect me. Cause I used to get really annoyed that Christmas stuff was brought out before my birthday, which was last Monday. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just like, it, it, it was, it used to just really, really wind me up. And you know, I used to get wound up about, Oh, I still do get wound up about the most trivial things, hence my next purge. But um, <laughs> I've decided to let the Xmas thing go. I've also yeah. decided to let the Halloween thing go because I think that all of a sudden Halloween has become um, something a little different. I was literally reading a, a book about folk, uh, folk, um, folk stories last mm. night and reading about the origins of, of Halloween and I was just thinking how far we've come from the original intent. But if everybody knew what the original holiday was, they'd probably go back to it because it's really fucking fun. Yeah, I was almost thinking that we should do like a Halloween episode just discussing Halloween. And yeah. yeah, okay, here, we'll put it to a vote to listeners. Anyone who cares enough to say anything or, you know, has any kind of opinion, should we time our closest to Halloween episode to have Halloween as the topic. Yeah, 
So that would be not this next one, but the one after, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, yes. Um, and if you are sick of people talking about Halloween or if you think we should continue with the random topics then that's fine but I think that it'd be fun I would definitely take the folklore side of things and I would um, pull out all of my uh, I have fun things because <laughs> witchcraft is my my point of interest so Halloween is a fun one yeah, yeah, it's got listeners, my get in touch let us know so Melanie's anticipating the Christmas season and and not thrilled about it which I can understand at least I'm not in retail anymore so I can say oh I'm not gonna let it affect me but I don't have to work in a shop (laughs) yeah yeah literally the day after Halloween I'm not even exact the day after Halloween um Christmas uh, Santa's fucking studio pops up in the mall yeah the day after, I, I, I fucking kid you not, it's really, and and I actually really do love Christmas. I'm, I'm a big goober for it. I'm the kind of person that if I hear a Christmas song, I'm fucking in it. I'm singing it. I don't care if it's, you know, November 1st, but still, I, 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 there's no space to breathe. <laughs> All right, so let's hear your purge here. Okay. My purge is... When you forget you have a brew and it goes cold and gross, so you reheat it, but it's not the same, but you don't just want to make yourself a new one because it would be wasteful, but you oh, yeah. inevitably throw away the reheated brew anyway, so you might as well have just made yourself a new one in the first place. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, I feel that one. <laughs> I yeah, that is literally it. I'm so – I get so – I just think that we need to treat ourselves well. Self-care – people (laughs) and if your cup of coffee or your cup of tea has gone cold just make yourself a new one yeah Yeah. just just go make yourself a new one what's great is when it's still warm and you have unexpected brew yeah like bonus brew that you didn't think you had any left but you look and there's still brew left and it's warm still that's fantastic that's the exact opposite of the feeling that my purge is I'm just talking about that inevitable disappointment when you've forgotten completely about an entire brew. Don't microwave it. Just make yourself a new one. Yeah. That's my public service announcement. Take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't settle for, for gross, stale, reheated tea or coffee. Exactly. It's exactly. not what you deserve. No. Now to the frugal listener, get over yourself. It's only a cup of tea. <laughs> anyway <laughs> I had I had it was great I made myself a cup of tea and you know me I don't actually drink tea very often no. because warm beverages kind of turn my stomach but every yeah. once in a while I just want you know a nice cup of tea instead of an energy drink it just sort of is it makes me feel better tip to top so I had my cup of tea and I totally fucking forgot about it for a good long while and I found it again, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so gross. But I decided to sip it anyway, just to test, and it was just warm enough. I was like, oh, thank God, because I was not going to – I wasn't going to reheat it. I wasn't going to make myself another cup. It was just going to be a lost yeah. project. And I was able to enjoy it. I was very excited. Would you have described that tea as tepid? Uh, yeah, it was, it was like it was like bath water. 
mildly warmer than tepid. Yeah. Mm. It was lovely. I really enjoy the word tepid. So it oh, was an excuse to use it. It's a great word. And I probably use that at every single opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> words. I don't know. Tepid and lexicon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I said that the other day with my parents around. I said, nobody uses such and such in their lex- their daily lexicon. And my parents both went, nobody uses lexicon in their daily lexicon. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah, they don't know. They don't understand. Right. So shall we breathe out our frustrations about cold coffee and retail hell? Yes. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Wow, that was good. I liked that. I enjoyed it. It's starting to feel really good. Forty-five days into quitting smoking. Exactly. It's exactly what I was about to say. I can breathe now, so now I can take that breath even deeper into myself. (laughs) And it doesn't result in hacking up half a lung. Yeah, or getting like halfway into your lungs, and you're like, if I try and breathe anymore, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna cough. So I have to stop. Drown in this breath. Yeah. 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 Right. So, (laughs) Melanie. What's our topic this week? Get us get us started. I'll get us started. Our topic this week is cursed tombs. Um, what is a cursed tomb? It is the final resting place of a human tomb, crypt, grave, cemetery, um, possibly animal, mostly human, that has either intentionally or through desecration become cursed usually resulting in the deaths of those that upset or discover said tombs. So it's basically the burial sites that end up killing or injuring people. That's what I got. Mm, cool. Right? Sounds Is there anything else you want to add to that? Because I think that that was pretty much all I could think. No. I mean, you pretty much define the shit out of it. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So to get us started, I thought I'd start with a, a couple kind of small ones that were sort of fun. One that I really enjoyed is the Curse of Tamerlane. Oh, yes, the Warlord. Yes. So June 16th, 1941, in Samarkand, Uzbekistan, a team led by anthropologist Mikhail Gerasimov began excavating the Gur-e-Amir Mausoleum as the final resting place of Tamerlane also known by a dozen other names, all in the vein of Amir Tamir, Tamir Lang, and Taimur. <clears throat> now, this man was born April 1335 and died February 1405. He was a Turco-Mongol war commander and founder of the Timurid Empire. Regarded as one of history's most feared conquerors and a brilliant tactician, with a death toll estimate as high as 17 million. He's a bastard. Yeah. He was also a great patron of art and architecture. He was a bastard. <laughs> Did you just catch that? I, I heard it and then it became funnier as it like echoed in my head. <laughs> Delayed laughs are sometimes the best laughs. Yeah, sorry about that. Alright, so the Timurid Empire Timurid? The Timurid Empire stretched from Russia to India, from the Medera- Mediterranean to Mongolia. He was always said to only fight in the spring, and it's no surprise that his death came en route during an uncharacteristic winter battle to conquer a China's Ming Empire. He died of influenza in a camp en route. 
He was 69 years old and had 35 years of insanely successful conquering behind him. I'll not delve too deep in this history. Suffice to say that it's super interesting. Um, I actually got myself in trouble because I couldn't stop reading about it. And I'm all, I should be researching other stuff. Um, so if I, I kept going quick, down. I kept going down random rabbit holes as well. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot. I mean, you, you learn about one thing and I'm like, oh, so wait, how did this start? Boop-a-boop-a-boop-a-boop. And next thing you know, an hour has passed and you've not written anything of import down. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> so, but if I've piqued your curiosity about him, please check it out. Super interesting. Anywho, back to the 1940s, where his remains were examined by the Soviet anthropologist Mikhail M. Grasimov, Lev V. Oshinin, and Vila Zezenkova. It was determined that Tamir, oh, I don't know why I wrote down, I wrote details about his corpse. I thought he was kind of, I thought it was neat. Did you know he had a limp? I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, his knee had fused. Yeah. So yeah, the examination, the examinations confirmed that Tamir was lame and had a withered right arm due to his injuries. His right thigh bone had knitted together with his kneecap. And the configuration of the knee joint suggests that he kept his leg bent at all times and therefore would have had a pronounced limp. It is alleged that Timir's tomb was inscribed with the words, when I rise from the dead, the word, the world shall tremble. It is also said that when Gerasimov exhumed the body, an additional inscription inside the casket was found, which read, whomsoever opens my tomb shall unleash an invader more terrible than I. Oh, Melanie, just for the le- listener's sake, what year is all of this taking place? 1941. Hmm. 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 <laughs> Three days after Gerasimov began the examination, or the exhumation, Adolf Hitler launched Operation Barbarossa, the largest military invasion of all time, upon the Soviet Union, which killed 26.6 million Russian men and women. Dang. Yeah. Now, Stalin is the one that ordered this exhumation, this sort of, uh, uh, you know, looking into this crypt. So after they found that inscription and then Hitler came, he was like, oh, how about we put his body back? So Stalin ordered Tamir's body to be reburied with full Islamic ritual in November 1942, just before the Soviet victory of the Battle of Stalingrad. It is not thought to be coincidence. I fucking love that story. Yeah. It's got everything. It's got... Um, an Uzbeki warlord who's yeah. got a horrendous limp who dies of the flu who has a cursed tomb you got <laughs> Nazis, Nazis. <laughs> it's perfect it's a perfect and then, yeah and then communists <laughs> like sidestep you know, whoops a daisy like Stalin like going oh, oh sorry about that whoops Oh shit! <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, this other one is—it's not an intentional curse, um, but people viewed it as such. This is the cursed tomb of Casimir Jagion, and I'm 99% sure I have no fucking clue how to pronounce that last name. Okay. There was once a Polish king. He was not particularly special aside from having been king. 
I read his history and it basically was like this. He had an older brother. Everyone was super prepared for his older brother to be king. They didn't even bother raising Casimir to be anything other than a rich prince. They didn't teach him Latin or really much of anything at all. And they definitely didn't teach him the responsibilities of his office. So when his older brother fell in battle, he was made king. Casimir was neither a splendid ruler nor a good and wise administrator, but a mistrusting, cautious, and sober head of a large family who regarded Lithuania as his personal estate. However, his reign was remembered as being both successful and one of the most peaceful times in the history of Poland, so good? It depends on what you measure success by, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah, he was good, but not great, but good. Economic stability, peacetime, and, um, you know, somewhat of a small amount of growth. Success. Yeah. yeah. So the I mean, middling he, sort. Yeah, exactly. He was just kind of like, meh. 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 <laughs> the remains of King Casimir IV and his wife Elizabeth were interred in a tomb situated in a chapel at the Wawel Castle in Krakow, Poland. With the consent of then-Cardinal Carol Wojcicki, yeah, sorry about that, a team of scientists was given permission to open the tomb and examine the remains, with restoration as the ultimate objective. Casimir's tomb was opened on Friday the 13th, 1973. Twelve researchers were present. Inside the tomb, they found a wooden coffin that was heavily rotted. It contained what was left of the king's decayed corpse. Within a few days, four of the twelve scientists and researchers had died. Oh dear. Not long after, within three years, I believe, um, there were only two survivors, Doctor out of 12, that went in there. Dr. Bolsula Smike, a microbiologist, and Dr. Edward Rosiski. Smike was to suffer problems with his equilibrium for the next five years. In the course of his microbiological examinations, Smike found traces of fungus on the royal insignia taken from the tomb. He identified three species, Aspergillus flavus, Penicillium rebrum and Penicillium rugulosum. These fungi are known to produce aflatoxins, which can be deadly when in contact with skin and inhaled into the lungs. So not so much an intended curse, but that that tomb killed some people. (laughs) What is it called in um, office jargon? Um, incidental outcomes. Yeah. <laughs> another another case of the ooh. We weren't expecting that. Yeah. Well, that went wrong. Mm. You know, like there's certain um, sites, well, certain archaeological sites where you have to wear like hazmat suits and things like that. Like, um, I think particular very particular diseases that you know mm-hmm. that people in the cemetery were buried with like um i'm trying to think of one more plague is one of them but um very specifically the one that they have to bury you in a lead lined coffin oh uh, oh yeah cholera i think it's cholera because you can actually it can lay dormant and you can bring it back if you breathe it in so Fair there's enough. like yeah there's a few cases of um, archaeologists contracting nasty diseases because of their suits not working or whatever. So, Aww. yeah, it doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. Man, it is so dangerous to be an archaeologist. You can collect, you could, you know, contract ancient cholera or, you know, mummy's tomb curses, you know. Oh. Not- 
I am aware of the professional hazards that um, that force it, that um, are ahead of me. There's a word for that, and that perfectly segues to me. Mm-hmm. Because, well, what kind of archaeologist would I be if I didn't talk about my career hazards, my professional career mm-hmm. hazards, which is when I'm raiding a tomb in my short shorts. so much um how likely am i to invoke the wrath of an ancient mummy very likely apparently and here we go so i'm gonna start with the most famous mummy's curse of all time and i'm sorry if you think that this is predictable suck it to the common Okay, so we all think we know the story, but I've got my notes in my hands as if I'm reading a storybook. Melanie can't see, now you can. So just imagine me sat with a nice big tome. I'm going to read to you about the mummy's curse. Yeah, yeah, everybody close your eyes and just imagine that you're sitting around a fire. (laughs) (laughs) With a really pedantic and annoying (laughs) person. Well, actually... (laughs) Okay, so the year 1922. The players, Howard Carter and Lord George Herbert Carnarvon. A little fact for you here. His surname was not Carnarvon. That was his title. His name is George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnarvon, Lord of Porchester. So get it right. That's too many names. I know. Lord Carnarvon is his, how everybody knows him, because you don't want to be going around going, <clears throat> George Edward Stanhope Mullen, you Herbert Fifth Earl of Carnarvon, Lord of Polchester. That's a bit of a mouthful. I bet he did, though. I bet he loved throwing that out. Anyway. Oh, he, he, yeah, def- he definitely did. <laughs> right. So I think most people know the story about how um, sort of, you know, cracking it open and how a cardi puts a candle through to the other side and someone says, what, um, what do you see? And he looks in and he goes, wonderful things. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lovely evoking image. It's perfectly Victorian and it's sort of like, oh, it's sentimentality. It's a wonderful story. Um, and afterwards, there's also this equally wonderful story about a post discovery curse so let me go through the victims for you after the discovery there were a number of unexplained deaths lord carnarvon himself died from blood poisoning from a mosquito bite sir arthur conan doyle author of uh, do you know who arthur conan doyle is i know who he is and i know he wrote things hold on sherlock holmes sherlock Sherlock holmes that's right shit you've lost one british cred today fuck i'm sorry it's okay. You can you can earn it back. Nice. <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is quoted to have said that Lord Carnarvon died from evil elementals that were left by ancient Egyptian priests to protect the pharaoh and the tomb. So, I like the idea of evil elementals. I'll have to put that on my list of things to look out for when I'm tomb reading. <laughs> Number two 
Lord Carnarvon's half-brother, Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. I say his name because I love the name. Sir Archibald Douglas Reed. Fantastic. He was a radiologist and he was the one who x-rayed Tut's mummy. And he died a mysterious death in 1924, so two years later. Yeah. Number three, Arthur Mace, a team member who excavated the tomb with Howard, died of arsenic poisoning. Number four, for some reason, Prince Ali Kamal Fahmi Bey of Egypt, who was shot by his wife less than a year after the tomb's opening. Now, I've tried to find the connection to the excavation party and couldn't find one. Mm. Uh, Maybe I just missed it. I don't know. Um, But the story of his murder is a doozy. Now, that was one of my rabbit holes. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to get into it because it is so off topic. But um, Prince Ali Kamal Fahmi Bey of Egypt was married to a former sex worker who worked in Paris at like a, you know, like a sort of Milan Rouge type of place. She was a high class prostitute. He married and she killed him six months after they got married. It's mental. And she practiced, she she got off. Nice. And it's all apparently meant to be a massive cover up because she was also a member of the royal family's mistress. Oh. Like, I'm telling you guys, it is a rabbit hole that's well worth going down. There's documentaries about this. So good. So check it out. (laughs) But were there Nazis involved? Um, you know, there very well might be. It sounds like something that Nazis would be part of, too. Just throwing that out there. It is the 20s, though. So it's a bit like at the beginning of the national socialist party but it's entirely possible anywho (laughs) the fifth victim uh they just start getting really weird at some point it's like the fifth victim is sir lee stack he was uh assassinated in cairo in 1924 he was the governor the governor general of sudan but some reason his assassination is attributed to the the coast of tutankhamun's tomb okay and uh, number seven, Carter's own father committed suicide in 1930. Mm. So that tragedy is also linked. Howard Carter himself survived a full decade after the excava- excavation. However, he died miserable and alone in 1939. So people still reckon he is a victim of the curse because he was, he didn't have very much success Um Does life just kind of fall apart after that? Yeah, pretty much. And there was a lot of stuff with the Egyptian government. It didn't go very well, actually. Um, And he was just bitter and um, cantankerous and died 10 years later. So anyway, so. (sighs) Right. By the way, all this. So what have we got here? We've got the most famous mummy's curse. Seven, possibly eight victims. What's the curse? Yeah. There wasn't one. Nice. <laughs> there was no curse found in the tomb of Tutankhamun. Yeah. Nothing. There was nothing even remotely resembling any kind of curse in that tomb. Yeah. So it is a complete fabrication. There are examples of other curses. There are curses. There are Egyptian curses. So... Just not in this case. 
there's this pleasant inscription found in the tomb of a 10th or 9th century BC ruler, Kahentika in Kenhiki. That's not right. <laughs> I don't speak Asian Egyptian. But this quote speaks through the ages. As for all men who shall enter this my tomb impure, there will be judgment, an end shall be made for him. I shall seize his neck like a bird, I shall cast the fear of myself into him. That is a fucking awesome curse. That is metal as fuck. Yes. Right? Oh, right. Gorgeous. Thankfully for you guys, that is not my last curse quote that I'm going to give you, but I'm going to move on slightly. Um, curses clearly didn't work as a deterrent, uh, nor did uh, the complex monuments like pyramids. Almost all tombs discovered in modernity have been raised previously and most likely contemporary to the burial itself. So as much as these curses are spooky and metal is a great way of putting it, it didn't put people off. However, it did deter archaeologist Sahi Hawass. Now, to people that are really into Egyptology, that's a familiar name. Zahi Hawass is the number one um, archaeologist in Egypt. He's the guy that's like, he wears like a hat all the time. He's got like a famous hat. He even like sells it on his website, like his hat, because his hat is so famous. I personally, anyway, <laughs> I have my issues with him. So take this with a pinch of salt. In 1996, he discovered the Valley of the Golden Mummies, which, to his credit, is an amazing discovery. Over 10,000 mummies are estimated to have been excavated. Um, and they had to do it all in secret because there was still a trade in mummy resin. Yeah. And this is 1996. Nice. So he's quoted in his book as saying that he had to do all this, like, on the DL, because if people found out there was a... Uh, a valley full of mummies that they would have been stolen and they would have been ground up and made into resin. So a little little thing there. The only reason the trade seems to have died out really is because the mummy um, supply dried up, yeah. literally. <laughs> so, yeah. He wrote a book about this discovery and he talks about um, other... Um, you know, excavations in the area. Now, I haven't read the book. I am, I am quoting somebody quoting his book. So this is like three times removed. So um, he said in his book that the tombs of the pyramid builders of Giza were cursed. Um, and the curse is as follows. All people who enter this tomb, who will make evil against this tomb and destroy it, May the crocodile be against them in water and snakes against them on land. May the hippopotamus be against them in water, the scorpion against them on land. So he noped his way out of there, apparently. So yeah, yeah. he did not take part in the excavation of the um, pyramid builders. Like I said, this guy's a bit dubious. He's very good at, he's, he's very much towing the line of the ancient egyptian narrative about like he's got a very particular agenda and i take everything that he says with a little bit of a you know speculative sort of 
um, accompaniment, if you will. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's still a really talented person. He's still a very smart guy, and he did, has excavated a lot of Egypt. But it's up to you guys to decide whether or not you think that he really did, you know, make a moral decision not to excavate. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of a curse. Gotcha. Oh, by the way, this particular tomb of the Pyramid Builders of Giza... It's got five stars on TripAdvisor and it's open to the public and you can go have a look at this 5,000-year-old fuck-off-my-lawn inscription because the inscription of the fucking curse is still there. Nice. <laughs> right. White people, man. Yeah, no, so much of this is just me going, ugh, white people. I mean, I'm casting, I'm, I'm grouping Egyptians into this as well because the Egyptian government has okayed this but i'm pretty sure that they've done it for our western people and so he himself he's egyptian but oh my god anyway so um that's kind of a little bit of fun stuff about mommy's curses and i just gotta say that um as somebody who's gone to pursue archaeology later in life i am absolutely unabashedly um uh able to admit that the inspiration for my uh intrigue in uh archaeology was sparked by Egypt. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people it was. And very specifically Tutankhamun and very specifically um you know the idea of wonderful things. Now I've moved on from that mindset. I'm not a treasure hunter anymore. Yeah. Um, but I gotta tell you, I love, I love a mummy's curse. And in 1999, a film came out that absolutely changed my life. And I think I've already messed. Have I already mentioned it? I don't know if we've made mention of this before. Possible. Well, Do it again. Yeah. Okay. So just as an excuse to talk about it, in 1999, a film came out called The Mummy. Starring Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss, both of which are hot as fuck. Oh god, he was so pretty. Side note, did you know George of the Jungle is on like was it Amazon Prime or HBO right now? And I am just trying so hard not to watch it because I want to real bad. You should light some candles. <laughs> He's the whole time. The whole time. Okay. But the thing is, right. I, I, I love, okay, so not only are Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz like hot shit in this film, but also there's like Egyptian Billy Zane. Like, yeah, right. So, like, I don't remember the actor's name. He just basically, I just remember him as, you know, Middle Eastern Billy Zane. Yeah, sexy big, Middle Eastern Billy Zane. Big, buffer, darker Billy Zane. Yes. Yeah, please. yeah lovely. Bald. What's like <laughs> so yeah everything about that movie is, is perfect and whenever it's on I watch it anyway back to being serious um, <laughs> um, before I take a break from speaking um, I do just want to make an honourable mention to an interesting essay on the persistence of the cultural phenomenon that is the mummy's curse by someone called Joe Marchant. It's available at aeon.com, which is A-E-O-N.com. Check it out and I will add it to my sources list 
which I need to find some way of getting to everybody at some point. But for now, message me and I'll give you a link if you want. Or you can go to aeon.com. They're not a sponsor. I don't know what else they do, but aeon.com and type in The Mummy's Curse and it'll come up with this article. It's really good. And it has pictures. We love pictures. Yeah, we love pictures. So, <laughs> Melanie, tell yeah. me some more curses. All right, I got one more, and then I have a yokai for later if we're feeling feisty. But, cool. Uh, this one is the Apache Death Cave. Ooh. Oh, sounds like an amazing B-movie title. Right? So this yeah. one is not necessarily a tomb or a mausoleum or anything intentionally devised to, um, you know, mark or celebrate the life and death of any particular person. This is more about a mass grave. Let me continue. In Arizona, there is an entirely abandoned town called Two Guns. It has been abandoned for well over half a century, though the local Native American tribes have been avoiding it for much, much longer than that. According to legend, the land is cursed by a mass grave. The story goes like this. In 1878, a band of Apaches conducted a bloody, brutal raid on a Navajo camp, killing every man, woman, and child with the exception of three girls they kidnapped for some not-so-nice reasons. When the Navajo leaders learned of the massacre, they sent two dozen of their best warriors out to track the Apache through the desert. Barely missing them over and over again, they eventually discovered this weird anomaly in the desert, a crack in the ground near what they now call Canyon Diablo. A blast of extremely hot air bursts out of the ground before them, startling their horses. The trackers dismounted to take a closer look and found that the Apaches had taken shelter in a huge underground cave large enough to hold all 42 of them and their horses. The heat from their fires had risen from underground, giving away their position. This gave the Navajo warriors a gruesome idea. At night they returned, and after quickly and quietly taking out the Apache watchmen, they gathered up as much dry brush and driftwood as they could and stuffed it into the cave entrance, setting it on fire. With the smoke gathering and the fire encroaching, it is said that when the Apaches had no more water to try and put out the flames, they slit their horses' throats, hoping it would be enough to douse the fire as well as to help preserve what little air they had left. It is also said that one Apache had managed to escape and begged for the lives of his men. The Navajo were willing to agree, but when asked about what happened to the three girls taken captive, let's just say that the answer enraged them, and they threw more fuel into the fire. Mm. When the screaming was over and the Apache clearly dead, the Navajo cleared away the debris to find a wall of burned meat. The Apache had clearly tried to create a barrier using the horse corpses, but to no avail. All 42 men and their steeds were dead, suffocated. From then on, both tribes assumed the land to be cursed, which, you know, fair enough. Mm. The tribesmen tried to warn pioneers of this, but, of course, white people. Mm. They did the exact opposite of what they should have done, and they built an entire town on the mass grave. Shortly after the town of Two Guns was settled, residents began complaining of ghostly activity, mournful wailing, agonized screaming, footfalls could be heard circling the building, and just a great big icky feeling throughout. Believing the curse, many of the town fled. Good. Many of the residents who remained saw a spike in murdery crimes and buildings mysteriously burned down. Just a oh, bunch of... 
What? All of murdery crimes. They were murdery. <laughs> and and nobody was ever really brought to justice for these, like, just murder spree that was going on. So it was just a bunch of bad shit. And it didn't help that as the town became more and more deserted, one guy had the great idea of using the Apache Death Cave as a tourist attraction. Nice. Using the actual human bones from the dead Apache warriors as props for his roadside display <sighs> and selling skulls as souvenirs. <sighs> he was run out of town eventually, but not before being mauled by wild animals, not once, but twice. So, <laughs> Good riddance. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Even the road that passed by two guns is said to be an especially dangerous stretch in which more cars than usual are known to get into accidents. This is a real place, completely abandoned with crumbling buildings. It's said that if you enter the caves, you are risking sickness, bad luck, and even death. Where is this, Melanie? This is in Arizona, I believe. And it's a place called Two Guns, Arizona. And it's, in a, it's, it's a ghost town. Is it not a tourist attraction now? Nope. I mean, it, it kind of is. People will go and check it out, but there's nowhere for you to stay. I mean, it is completely abandoned. If you're going there, you're going there to spend an hour walking around the ruins or risk entering that cave, which, yeah, no, thank you. Yep. <laughs> That's so gross. Yeah, and that that uh, that whole scene with the, the Navajo and the Apache, 100% true. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh, dear. The lengths that humanity will go to be cruel to each other. Yeah. Do you want me to talk about my cruelty and then you can finish us up on a positive note? Let's do it. So I am going to use this opportunity now to tell you all about a bit of a social injustice, not a bit of a social injustice, a massive social injustice that's happening right now. Now, you could accuse me of um, cult, um, putting across an idea of cultural superiority or ethnocentrism, and I just want you to know that I understand that I am making um, statements about another culture that I'm not a part of, but I think that if you listen to what I have to say, you'll probably be on my side by the end of the story, but I'm very well aware, um, so there's that caveat that I'm aware that I am viewing another culture's actions through the lens of a western ideal i'm aware but doesn't stop this from being really shitty i'm going to try to present you with the facts and you can come to the conclusions yourself um i am in no way demonizing one side i'm only sympathizing with the other okay people yeah all right right now this moment um in china the government is running a campaign a campaign against graves excavating and destroying burial places of the rural and poor Chinese communities. Entire cemeteries are being destroyed. They seize and smash coffins, destroy headstones and level mounds all across China over the last few years in a bid to enforce a cremation-only burial rite on a culture who still bury their dead and to clear agricultural land in order to provide much-needed food security. The government in Beijing state that for four years now, the amount of agricultural land needed to feed the country has fallen perilously close to the minimum amount needed, which is 124 square miles hectares. 
However, this land clearance is disproportionately targeting the ethnic group, the Han Chinese, Mm. who make up the majority of the population. Now, city-dwelling or urban Chinese communities almost always are cremated, and these urn cemeteries are are sort of situated around major site Chinese cities. But burial... um, Sorry, but rural Chinese communities continue with inhumation traditions. They also have a lot of belief systems based on their burial rites. They they believe that the peaceful presence of the dead blesses future generations. They believe that digging and disturbing the graves of the dead brings on vicious curses. Mm They visit the graves of their ancestors annually in a festival called Qingming, where they pay respects by giving food and offerings and tidying and decorating the graves. The Han Chinese feel this, this is tantamount to forced modernization and unfairly targets them. They feel belittled and that it is an attempt to eliminate their cultural traditions. However, the government insists that it's because they desperately need that agricultural land in order to feed the country. Regardless of which side you're on, right now this is happening. The article I read in the Financial Times dated to April. People's families' graves and tombs are being destroyed by the government right now. And a significant amount of the population who have no say are not only shocked, devastated, and despaired, they now have to live with a legitimate fear of the curses that are going to be brought upon their families and their friends and their colleagues and the rest of the country because they do believe that disturbing the dead curses the living. So it's just something to think about um, that in 2019 that these People are having to deal with that. It's another shitty thing for our Chinese overlords, our future Chinese overlords. <laughs> so, oh, Melanie, I didn't want to make you so upset. I'm not crying. I'm crying a little bit. <laughs> We're both incredibly empathetic. That's why you guys all just heard my serious voice. Ah, that's brutal. Oh, that's, that's so that, sad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't no make idea. jokes about that. Hmm? Yeah, I, I had no idea fuck right now i didn't know either and um you know (laughs) there's a lot of fucked up things going on in the world right now it's really hard to keep up yeah 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 yes (laughs) (laughs) so hey if there's anybody listening that this story resonates with you if you know what's going on please please get in touch um and we will read your 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 story out um I think that uh, I know that I gave the caveat that I wasn't going to um, pass judgment from a Western perspective, but it's really fucking difficult in this circumstance. Yeah, it's hard not to. Well, and it's like on on one hand, you the reasoning sounds solid. Yes. You know what I mean. Um, the reasoning sounds solid, but yes, when when a position of power disproportionately is taking advantage of or trying to destroy another culture that is of a lower um, uh, social mm-hmm. position, it's it's just so fucking clear that that their reasoning is not the motive. No, 
Um, I think we can all see through it. I think we can all see what is going on there. And I think that we try not to, we try not to be too um, critical or what cynical, mm-hmm. but the Chinese government haven't exactly done that many things to <laughs> warrant our trust and respect really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, please don't come and get us. We're just two nobodies that nobody listens to. <laughs> yeah, we've got like 30 consistent downloads per episode. Like, we, we really don't, we're not a big voice here. Don't hurt us. Plus, uh, I did state their side of the story. So, you know, they legitimately do need land. They need agricultural land. There is such a massive population in China. And yes. they desperately no. need land for to feed them. Absolutely. And that's why that reasoning sounds so fucking solid. And and I if there were another way, I'd be like, excellent. But this this is not the way to do it. It's sort of like saying there's no other way to do it. So let's just do it the worst way possible. (laughs) How can we do this and just destroy an entire culture? Perfect. Yeah. And have like people terrified of their own ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this so this is me. As a witch, and I'm begging for any other witch behind behind me or listening to um, do the same thing. If such a curse does exist, let's point it the right direction. <laughs> I... Because I feel like the families, the the spirits of the dead, of the, the family, of the deceased would understand that it was not their family's doing. So I think that they would go the right way. And I've watched enough Asian horror movies to know that they usually know which direction to go. So <laughs> I'm just hoping that they, they do. I mean, yes, without knowing too much about the the superstition yeah. itself and the culture itself about the disturbing of graves, there's a possibility that they believe that the dead don't have memories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, here's... So... I don't know I'm conjecturing but how why else would they be afraid of their own ancestors sort of that's fucking brutal anywho Melanie cheer us up with something oh boy (laughs) I'm always bringing it to the table aren't I yeah right fucking slap happy over here all right giggles McGee um so let's cap us off with a yokai so this is not actually super specific to tombs or even curses, but I love them a lot and he kind of fits, so fuck it. This is Hyakumi. Usually resembling a large ball of flesh, much like a giant human-sized wad of bubblegum, he is also known as 100 Eyes. He is known to haunt abandoned homes, temples, caves, shrines, and other shady areas. <laughs> Like you would assume with a nickname like that, he is covered from head to his fleshy mound of, we can assume, toes with a hundred blinking yellow eyes. Their only function is to protect and guard temples, shrines, and etc. from would-be thieves. They only come out at night, for the sunlight is much too bright for their sensitive eyeballs. Makes sense. Should you encounter a Hyukumi, one of his eyeballs will detach from his body, fly towards the intruder, and stick to him... For as long as he's in the vicinity. Oh, God! Watching for any hint of criminal behavior. Funnily enough, they don't actually do anything more than that. <laughs> like the posters on the bus that says, <laughs> we are watching you. 
It's just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. If they get really riled, they'll jump out at you and look threatening, but that's it. They're really just banking on freaking you the fuck out. Yeah, well, I'd be freaked out by a thing covered in eyeballs. Yeah, just kind of Honestly, walk. Um, I, in the images that I saw, he does have feet. Um, but I don't believe he moves around much. He's just sort of like stationary and he'll wait. And somebody <laughs> so comes. Just and... walking around. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> Play eyes. Play eyes. Ow, 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 shit. Why am I made of eyes? <laughs> oh, doesn't a movie do that? I feel like a movie does that. Maybe that might have been another dream I had. It's possible. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my yokai, and I hope you like him. So is he like um, instead of a curse, he's like just the watch, the watcher. Yeah. Okay. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, because the only other thing I could find was um, in Japanese mythology they have a lot of ghost fire. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and that was really the only one that I could find specific to tombs and things like that. I mean, there are so many that are relative to curses, and then there is, like, the ghost fire of graves and tombs. So there wasn't quite a yokai that fit for it, but I love this guy. He's he's just so cute, so I was like, screw it, we're going with him. I like it anyway, yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Well, I'm out of things to talk about. How about yeah. you? Me too. I thought that was pretty pretty fun and also made me cry. So good job with that. Totally I'm sorry, cry. guys. But there you go. That was my serious voice. That was my Danielle is being sincere. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's part of what we do here, you know, is, is not only learning your stuff, but like really trying to bring it home when it's when it's important. And that was important. It's fucking important. I felt that it was also so um yeah sorry guys right let's let's turn this back around um melanie can you do the social meets because you're so fucking good at it so everybody if you like what we were talking about if you have any cool cursed tomb stories or legends or anything like that you want to let us know about have us read about on our episodes um, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Zombie Fishbowl or Zombie Fishbowl Podcast. If you have any topics you would like us to discuss, if you want to chime in on whether or not we should have a strictly Halloween episode discussing the folklore and mythology of Halloween itself, hit us up at our email at zombiefishbowlpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, we're on iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, so please Give us some stars. Give us some reviews. Tell people that you like us. Spread the word. We're we're really loving what we're doing, and we want to keep doing it. We want to know that you're enjoying it, too. Yes, please. <laughs> right. So I'm going to do um, the random topic picker now. Yeah, do it. All right, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. <clears throat> Random topic picker. Random topic picker. You're a random topic picker, and you're going to pick a topic. Oh, Melanie, you're going to love it. Oh, oh, oh. Witchcraft, Wicca, and Magic. Yay! Boop, 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 boop. I promise you, listeners, little fishes, that I did not set that up. Witchcraft, <laughs> Wicca, and Magic has just come out of the random topic picker. As if by some serendipitous fate. So that means... <laughs> that uh the next yeah the next hopefully two 
episodes will be very, very Halloween oriented. Properly Halloween for you. Yeah. (laughs) That was a perfect cackle! (laughs) Oh, that one's a creepy cackle. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Right, so now I am going to finish with a quote. Give us a quote. Little may you know that William Shakespeare's grave is adorned with a curse. Yeah. And he wrote it himself for his grave. Are you ready? Yes. Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear to dig the dust enclosed here. Blessed be the man who spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. Thanks, Billy Shakes. Billy Shakes. (laughs) B Shakes. I'm just fucked, aren't I? (laughs) I'm just going to move this bone a little bit to the left. (laughs) Cursed be me. Oh, that's great. So, right, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Melanie, don't panic. (gasps) I feel mildly uncomfortable.